0: But I think living abroad gives you a maybe like a thirty thousand foot view, where you can like look down and, and kind of start to see both sides of situations. Like in America right now, I, I couldn't walk in and say like I see the value of Trump in a lot of places. I see like a lot of good that he did because people would go nuts. Or i couldn't walk in and say i'm really for gun control because people would go insane or i couldn't say i'm super pro or anti-biden and i'm not saying these are my views on anything i'm just saying like because the states is so polarized saying those things publicly is like you're not allowed to have those conversations and i think when you go abroad it hopefully gives people the curiosity to explore some of these issues more and understand what's really happening in the world because. I assure you, if you read CNN all day or Fox News all day, you're getting a very, very, very distorted view of what's actually happening out there. And unfortunately, one of the things we've been doing in the States right now is, is killing conversation and killing inquisition and curiosity and just wanting people to like just fall into a, a left or a right and that's, if you're this, you're this, and if you're this, you're this, and you can't be in the middle because if you're in the middle, that's bad. I think traveling helps you get rid of all, a lot of that
1: young men like us optimize our lives in a way that lets us achieve success and meaning. Come with me as I interview top performers and delve into key areas of life, habits, finance, psychology, health, relationships, work, creativity, and business. I boil the ocean of men's advice into usable wisdom in this podcast to give you the answers. My name is Blake Bottrell, and this is The Distilled Podcast. My guest today had already lived his nine lives by the age of 40. He's founded a successful e-learning platform, a fast fashion company, and was the founder and CEO of Collective Hospitality, a Thailand-based hospitality company that raised over $140 million in the last five years. Not only that, he's also a former member of the band Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, has completed multiple ultra marathons, and summited Mount Kilimanjaro under some very hairy circumstances. He's found a way to do it all while being a great husband and father. Edmund Lohman, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. What an intro. <laughs> what an intro.
1: <laughs> You're the one that lived it, man. I'm just retelling it. So,
0: yeah. It sounds more absurd when I hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the
1: most important thing that you learned about yourself or about business in having to make? 30 grand in 90 days.
0: I'm probably gonna repeat things that people read on the internet, but I think they're true, so I'll repeat them. I think having like an absurd time constraint forces you to be really creative and to come up with solutions. I think the longer you give yourself to do things, the more people tend to overthink it and procrastinate. Um, And then I wouldn't say I learned this about myself in those 90 days, but but I already knew about myself. I'm, I'm just incredibly persistent. I'm a very, 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 very persistent person. And I would say a lot of my success comes from pure persistence rather than knowledge or uh, ability. It's just the, um, perseverance for people to say no to me and just be like, I don't care. And just keep going forward.
1: Yeah. There's definitely a through line in your life of both that consistency or persistence and just a willingness to sort of like break things first and then figure it out afterwards, whether it's like things to do with business or climbing a mountain while your shoulder's dislocated or whatever it is like. (laughs) Don't do that, that was a terrible experience. (laughs) (laughs) How much of that do you think is innate or something that can
0: be learned via reps? I think a lot of it comes from running, to be honest. I I started running when I was really young um, in like a third grade competitively. And I think there's something that you learn with running of like being with yourself and being quiet and um, dealing with being in pain and adversity and not feeling good and just only having to and, and, and having the biggest competitor be your mind and not actually the people in the race and I think there's something there with like once you figure out how to control your mind and not saying that I'm perfect, but once you once you figure out how to be with your mind and understand what your mind is and isn't capable of, uh, I think it gives you access to a higher level of possibilities rather than um, than maybe the person who doesn't run I don't know if it's all running, maybe sports in general, but like sports that are sports that are um, very mentally challenging. And I, I think running is one of those very mentally challenging sports. It's funny you bring up running. I interviewed a guy
1: on the show a couple of months ago now. His name is Josh. And he had the same sort of through line of, of persistence in his journey as well. And his sort of stems back from third grade, funny not, believe it or not. Uh, it was, he was part of this like milers club at his school when he was younger. And he has a very different trajectory. He's a video game streamer now, but has this same through line of just keep doing things, putting things out, published like a thousand videos before he got to where he is in terms of his streaming career. So I think whether there is something innate about the running portion of it, or the mental discipline, or something that comes from that, uh, just pushing yourself, and like you said, competing against yourself versus other people?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the one thing I think about with with running is, like, it teaches you at an early age to set lofty goals. Um, It teaches you that you can't just go out and do it tomorrow. Um, You have to, like, break it down into chunks, like, chunk it out in order to be able to accomplish it. Um, and it's something that takes you know months. Like if I want to go run a great five k now, it's going to be two or three months of prep, probably three three to six months of preparation if I want to run a great one. And so, I think that like learning that type of goal setting and like um, uh, future planning of like an event that's not going to happen for six months, I think that's like huge. And I'm not a good planner. I think what it is is I just know that I have to keep doing stuff to make things happen. <laughs>
1: Your, uh, I heard you mention at some point in another interview that you did that anything short of Iron Man shape for you is now not acceptable. Is <laughs> that does that carry over into the the business life as well? Anything short of uh, an Iron Man level business, it's not something. You... Um,
0: I think I think when you have a kid, things change a lot um, in, in a positive way. Prior to my child, I think I was far more like either like all in or all out on everything that I did. Um, and so exactly like Iron Man, Iron Man or bust or like climb Mount Kilimanjaro or bust or run a hundred miles or bust, like, you know, why run a 5K when I can run a hundred miles type mentality. Um, I think now I'm, I'm definitely a lot more tempered and in a good way, meaning that it's like, well, yeah, that it's, it's great to do all those things and go extreme but it's also good to be healthy and have time for your family and to feel, you know, generally healthy. Like when I, when I was training for the Ironman, I have to be honest, I I didn't feel healthy at all. Like I was in great. Like I looked great. I could run far and I could do, I guess a lot of (laughs) swimming and biking and running, but I didn't feel good. Um, and now that I have dialed it back, like I, I haven't been running much at all. Actually, recently I just ran, three miles for maybe the first time in months uh, yesterday. I've been going to the gym a lot more and just lifting weights and found um, interestingly, a, a similar level of enjoyment that I got from running of like, okay, like you can't go in and lift a lot right away. You have to, you know, set goals and do it over time. Um, and I've been doing that for like a year. And now I'm starting to incorporate running back into the routine. So, coming so down. yeah, so, so so coming back to the question, <laughs> yeah, like is it is it, I, is it Iron Man or bust, or is it business or bust? I think in business, I'm probably still slightly more. Probably the right word is aggressive, uh, meaning that like if I decide I'm going for something in business, I still really go for it. Uh, I think with running and fitness, I'm a, a lot more tempered now. Like I'm in great shape, probably a better shape than I've ever been, but I'm not trying to like go out and set. Run my fastest mile anymore. I just want to go out and run.
1: Coming back to the point of aggressive we were talking before we jumped on here, you've been basically part of some sort of litigation for ever since I've known you, which is six, seven years now. And you're finally finished up with that. We were talking a little bit, you're based in Thailand of how it's the wild west and some of the lifestyle entrepreneurs are getting taken advantage of. And What's, we talked a little bit about this, but what's your big takeaway or learning from finally being finished up
0: with all this litigation? Um, There's a few things. I mean, I think one is make sure to do things slowly. Like there's a, there's a, positive of moving quick and there's a negative of moving quick. Sometimes you move quick and you make mistakes. Um, so that's one. I think two is understanding what, what a lawsuit is. You know, the first time that we had, we say I, I've been being sued the com- the companies. It's not necessarily that I directly, um, it was just companies that I was involved in. Um, so it wasn't anyone maliciously going after me per se, but I think um, the first time that we got a demand letter, so a demand letter is usually the first step in a lawsuit is uh, the, party, the the grieving party will send you a letter with their demands of why they're unhappy. And I remember like how like, nervous, upset, scared I got when I got that first demand letter. Like I was like, oh my God, like, like freaked me out. And I couldn't sleep for days. Um, and then when I was going through this this first um, <clears throat> case, I had to go through it was over it was over a lease, um, funny enough. Um, so, anyways, going through this first issue of this lease, um, you know, I was stressed out all the time. And in the end, we ended up settling it, and everybody was happy. And actually, we went into business with the, the people that we'd been in this like three year argument with. But I think, like if I could give advice to anyone who is being sued or is is going through litigation is one, like it takes a very long time. It's not going to happen right away. Um, Two, don't get worked up about things you can't control because effectively what a lawsuit means is that you and the other person have now decided that, or at least one side has decided that you are incapable of talking with this person. You're incapable of coming up with a solution. And now, because we can't come up with a solution, I think it's better to let some judge decide. And I think that's something that's very important for people to think because once people get into it, or to to understand, once people get into it, lots of times they don't realize that almost, almost never are you as right as you think you are. Never, never, ever, ever. Take it from someone who's gone through this, unfortunately, numerous times over the last years. As passionate and as sure as you are in the beginning, I can guarantee you three years later, when you're still going through this thing, you're going to go, Hmm, maybe I don't remember that quite the same anymore. Or maybe I'm not as upset about this as I, as I thought I was. And at that time you've spent, you know, in Thailand, maybe 10, 20, 30 grand, uh, USD in legal fees, or in the U S maybe spent hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. And in the end, some guy who you don't know is going to look at your story And the other person's story and they're going to make a decision for you and that's it and so i think that's really important to remember because maybe you just need to like let it cool off for a bit and go back to the table six months later and have a conversation with the person because like in the end you usually settle is almost always what happens is you go through it for three years and the judge tells you the best thing you can do is settle Um, and then if you don't settle then what happens is you win or you lose and then the other side or you appeal and then you appeal again and you appeal again, and you, appeal again and you appeal again. And, you know, it can take five, six years. It's like, or, or in my case, I think almost seven years. So it's like, like it's just a, it's a huge waste of time is, is, is what I've learned, massive waste of time. The only people that win lawsuits are lawyers.
1: I don't know if I'm remembering this entirely correctly. And it was either you or your business partner at the time, Trevor, that had mentioned something. To the effect of, I don't know if it was one of these initial lawsuits, but one of one of the people that you had chosen to go into business with, uh, there was a bit of a sour connotation sort of at the start and the signing of contracts, and you had talked about sort of your gut instinct with the whole initial deal being off. How important is your initial gut instinct when you choose to do business with someone?
0: I, I think your gut instinct is incredibly important. And that's probably like my number one takeaway that I've learned um, is that like, usually what you think in the beginning is probably what's going to happen. So so both of the um, partnerships that, that uh, myself and Trevor went through, because Trevor was with me through his entire journey. Um, one of them uh, went poorly very quickly. But I think Part of that was because of both sides, lack of understanding on how to structure and implement a proper deal. I think we were just young and we didn't know any better. Um, and it was two, two companies that were young and ambitious who both thought they were the best and I think had the best intentions, but just didn't actually know how to get it over the line. Um, I actually really think if that same Deal were to happen today, I think I could probably navigate it and make it work because I think I have the maturity and the understanding now that would not get me hung up on, or them hung up on things that were pretty innocuous, to be honest. Um, and same thing, we had a, a second issue, um, which actually we ended up working with these same guys again, um, but the issue wasn't with them. We got back together with them, things went great. Uh, it was actually really good. Everything was going swimmingly. And then we took on this. Um, this uh, outside kind of like venture capital investor who was just um pretty savage um very shrewd and i think we kind of had an inkling of that in the beginning and we should have oh i don't know if we should have stuck with our guts because actually in the end i think it worked out really well for me um so i think that's also part of it, is Like maybe sometimes things that seem bad at the time. Um, when you zoom out a little bit further or like five years down the road or three years down the road, you look back and go, Oh wow. Like actually I got out of that pretty clean. And, and what I mean by that is like, yep, the person we worked with was, um, not the greatest and you know, yeah, I think that's the nicest way to say it. Not the greatest. And, um, in the end we ended up selling the business to that person. um, but. We kind of lucked out, right? Because it was like in the middle of COVID. Everyone else was like struggling. I You know, I'd, I'd made it all the way through COVID. I got sold my company in the middle of COVID. Maybe not for the amount that I wanted to, but still an okay amount. And you know, I made it through the through the other side of COVID like pretty well. Like I, I had a great COVID. Like everyone else who's I talked to is like, oh, I lost my business. All this, like. I did lose my business, but I lost my business and then went on vacation for six months because I just got paid. So gut instinct important, but also like thinking of things on the long, on the long uh, timeline and like not getting so caught up in like what's happening today and zoom out. Like, is this going to matter in five years or three years or in six months? I think that's important to do as well. How
1: important is having a role model or someone to look up to in the Entrepreneurial world. I know you talk about uh, your grandfather being a big influence on you.
0: Yeah, um, my grandfather was a huge influence on me. I, I was lucky to have like someone who was so successful, um, and also understood that my path was, you know, right right before he passed away, he he said like. Um, Basically, like he—he was—he always knew that I was um, really intelligent, and he always knew that I was going to be successful at business. But he didn't ever—he couldn't quite understand my path, but that—but that he knew because I was so persistent that I, w- I would find a way eventually. Uh, and that's not saying that I think I'm so intelligent. I'm—I um, I don't know if he actually said that either. He probably said I knew that you were—I <laughs> knew that you were capable. Probably sounds like something uh, more more like what my grandfather would have said. But it was really important for me to have him because I also have never been really that close with my father. So having like this male figure in my life who was an entrepreneur was really good for me. Um, Now, how important is it to have a role model in entrepreneurship in general? Um, I'm not sure, I mean, I wouldn't call this person a, a role model, but like I'm always like impressed by Elon Musk, because like, I, I look at him, I, I don't know if I agree with everything he does or everything he says, but what impresses me about him is like, like the only reason Elon Musk is going to the moon and I'm not, or you're not, is because Elon Musk just had the vision and the dream and it was just like, I can do this, I'm gonna figure it out. Um, yeah, he's intelligent, but I don't think it's so much his intelligence that got him there as it is his just unwavering dedication to whatever, um, cause it is that he's decided to, you know, charge forward on. So I think that's impressive. Um, the other side though of Elon Musk is I think he can be a bit um, misleading for people because like, I, I don't think everyone's capable of doing what Elon Musk does. Is like so many companies, like it is not easy to run one company. Um, one thing that's mind blowing about this guy is like, you know, he's got SpaceX, he's got Twitter now or X now, he's got um, Tesla, he's got boring company. He's got Powerwall. And the fact that he's doing, granted, they all integrate on different levels, but that's really hard to do. Uh, I can say from someone who ran just, you know, it was a big company, Collective Hospitality. And when I was a CEO of Destination Eats, you know, I I probably had between the two, 1,500 employees that were under my watch and you know that's that's a big company but it's still like nothing on the scale of what Elon Musk is doing. So yeah, role models are important, but also like use them as a like as a guide and not as like the the gospel. Yeah I think
1: people overindex for the people who they envision are on sort of the top of the food chain when it comes to business, when in reality you should be tailoring a- and I say this as someone who's trying to build more of a, a lifestyle business than a, some giant corporation, obviously, is people tend to sort of, when they're picking role models, pick role models incorrectly because they're presented in the media as someone who should be a role model when in reality you'd never want to trade lives with the person that you're looking up to. Yeah. So, when you're choosing that role model, it's really finding the people whose lives you want to emulate versus uh, the
0: business acumen or gross. So, that, that I you mean, that, that's a really um, important point because you think about like, would you rather be um, from a lifestyle perspective, would you rather be Elon Musk or um, maybe Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg's not the uh, sexiest entrepreneur, not someone that people are usually like, oh, my you know, like, my role model's Mark Zuckerberg. I don't think maybe people do. Um, but if you look at, um, I, I probably wouldn't go after either. I would probably go after like, Shaquille O'Neal is probably my role model as far as like what I want. Um, and why I say that is like, Elon Musk, you know, that guy's life has to be, s- so incredibly stressful all of his companies are super leveraged you know he's he's trying to do something incredible and he's either going to be remembered as one of the most important people in history or he's going to be remembered as a cautionary tale of this is what happens when icarus flies too close to the sun and I- i'm not sure which it's going to be um but then you look at like shaquille O'Neal. Uh, that, that's a good one is like he's just like divested his wealth into like all kinds of different ventures. Um, he's very family centric um, and he's just like letting his money work for him. He's not, I mean, I think he is working hard, but I don't think he's um, working hard like Elon Musk works hard. Um, and that's not to say that Shaq's lazy. I think he's got a better life balance. Um, so I think it's also important to like not be seduced by the sexy entrepreneur. And like think about like what lifestyle you really want, because. Elon Musk, yes, is a billionaire, but he also sleeps on floors out in Brownsville next to a rocket launch site, because that's his passion. And maybe that's what he wants. And maybe he really loves that and that's great. Um, and if, and if you're really that passionate, you will do that. But I, I think I'm more of a shack guy.
1: How much of your life do you see as being ahead of the curve? Cause I think whether, uh, You maybe know it or not. I think there was a handful of things that you were in on early. I mean, I know you were uh, in on Bitcoin early. I wish I would've, well, I did try to buy stuff when you tried to convince me in 2017 and couldn't make a Coinbase account from Thailand because I didn't have a phone number. But uh, tried to do that. You were on the train of uh, quitting alcohol early, this whole wave of passport bros leaving uh, for Thailand or various other. Countries in order to uh, not that you came here came to Thailand with the intention of uh, specifically just marrying a woman from Thailand. That was a very different circumstance. But how how has being sort of ahead of the curve on some of these things helped you in various areas of your life?
0: I think it's usually frustrating to be ahead of the curve because then you have to like, is this really working? Is it not working? Like, you know, like zoom out now. Okay, like getting paid or it was, like $30,000 I got paid in Bitcoin because someone couldn't pay me for a hostel back in 2017 or 16, whatever it was. And uh, getting these coins that I didn't understand, I got transferred them into a bread wallet. I didn't know what a bread wallet was. And, uh, you know, it was basically like, this is money that's never going to materialize in anything. And I was just trying to figure out how to get it out of the wallet so I could get my money. And then, um, I actually just, I can't say I forgot about it, like, oh, I'm like so rich, I forgot about my $30,000. But I think I kind of like, wasn't on my like, number one to-do list, I have to get this done right away thing. And then I remember like, not looking at it for a few months. And then the guy who'd give me the money, is like, oh, have you looked at Bitcoin? I was like, no. And he's like, oh, he's like, it's at like $3,000 now. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, and then I actually held all of it until, the first like big, um, not all of it, but I think most of it, <clears throat> I held until the first big spike that was around, um, around uh, yeah, right around December of twenty seventeen. Because the re- the reason I remember is because it was when my daughter was born, and I was like, this is like, this is crazy, like, what like, what? I'm like. 12x and not even more than that. I was like, yeah, 16x or something like on what had been given to me. And I was like, well, like, let's get out of this. Um, so yeah, that was good. And then, yeah, I was, I was lucky again, like, you know, earlier this year or or last year when, when it was going really bad again, like around 15,000, I was like, you know, I'm going to get back in, like I'm going to get back in heavy and it seemed, seems to be working out thus far. So, um, I think being ahead of the curve can be frustrating at times. Um, if it's something you really believe in, it can be great. Um, I think I've always just followed my passion and my like where my head and heart is at at that moment. So, you know, for the Bitcoin thing, it was it was wasn't any um, great insight for me. It was a means to an end. I needed to get paid for something, and this person had Bitcoin, so I took it. Um, for quitting alcohol, um, you know, I had some health problems. I had a Oh, well, it's, it started off because I was just trying to like do 30 days on, 30 days off. Um, and then uh, I was doing these 30 days on, these 30 days off. And I think I went on like an on and I was like going really hard and ended up going into what's called AFib, which is your heart basically starts beating out a rhythm. Um, and then after that instance, the, the doctor said, oh, it's like one-off situation, you don't need to worry about it. Um, and after that, I pretty much entirely quit drinking um and then um about two years ago now i was at disney with my family just out doing roller coasters drinking some beers having coffee but i did like four or five days in a row eating crazy it happened again and then after that time when it happened i was like all right we are making some big adjustments now because this is like basically like your options are Massive lifestyle adjustment or go get an ablation, which is they put like electrodes down into your heart and try to burn out the areas that they think are acting up, which at some point I might still do, but at that point I basically cut out alcohol entirely. Um, I I will on occasion have a glass of wine now, but I I don't go out and like drink anymore at all. The idea of stopping to drink alcohol started with um, being around alcohol all the time, owning bars, and you know, just drinking constantly, <clears throat> and at, at some point, I was kind of like, like, is, is this really fun anymore? Like, I feel like I've squeezed about as much fun out of drinking as I can. Pot, like, like what, what else? You know, like, I've gone out and gone crazy. All I've wanted, I've met lots of girls. I've done like the whole party thing. Like, what, what else am I expecting to get out of this? Like, and then thinking, like, what's the? I think the conversation I actually had with myself as I said, long before any health problem was like, what what is your downside if you stop drinking? And what is your what is your downside if you continue drinking? And I wrote that out. I'm like, this is like ridiculous that I haven't at least considered or tried not drinking for a while to, to see what the upside might be. Because your, your upside is like so huge and your downside, there's no upside to drinking. I mean like, yes, you might go out and have a bit more fun, like, yes, you might go meet guys or girls or whatever. You might have this crazy night, but the actual net ROI on drinking is, like, almost zero, and if not, like, massively negative. And so I had that conversation with myself. Um, And then moving to Thailand, um, it wasn't meant to happen. I'd sold my my fashion company. I was on a trip back to America, and I just saw opportunity. So maybe to... um, summarize my very pedantic and meandering answer would be that like, yeah, like follow, follow what gets you excited. Um, and look for opportunities, because um, like, if you if you're following your heart or your mind or whatever it might be, or you're following your passion. So at that time, I'd say I was really excited about traveling. Um, you'll, you'll opportunities will present themselves. Um, and I think the big thing is being open to opportunities and may, maybe that's the net takeaway is I, I'm really open to opportunities. I'm really open to new technology. NFTs, I, I put a ton of money into NFTs. I lost a ton of money in NFTs. Do I regret it? Not really. Like I, I was on the absolute bleeding edge of that. And you know, I learned a lot about the technology and I do think it's still a really viable technology i do think it'll come back and when it does come back i understand it or right now when the new chat gpt came out like i've already programmed like three gpts and i've been like i'm just so excited about it. i'm like this feels like i don't understand it yet i don't know what i can do with it but it feels really important to me and so because it feels important i feel like i should understand it So i think maybe that's that's part of it i feel like we're
1: definitely on the same page there i didn't have quite the initial investment in, in some of those things, but it's once you realize that this is sort of the path forward and there's like, no going back and we've opened that box, like this is where we're heading and sort of sprouting off that conversation and coming back to, uh, your daughter's probably five or six now just starting school. And I think there's a really sort of more organized push now. I, funny to use the word organized, a more organized push for a less organized school structure and a large uptick in homeschooling as someone who's like started a successful e-learning company, do you sort of see this coming back around and how much attention are you paying to that world right now?
0: Yeah. So interesting that you said that part of why I started programming, there's a couple GPTs I've been working on was I was like, watching what my daughter is learning at school and then knowing what's really important in life and going like, wouldn't it be better just to teach her like, or at least supplement her teaching on our own and like figure out a way to, to yeah, either create that supplement or to fully implement that supplement as the main, the main, um, form of education. And maybe the traditional education is a supplement. And I was, just um, re- listening to a podcast, and I can't remember the guy's name, but it was basically um, this Hungarian father who, who believed that you could raise geniuses. And I listened to that maybe like a month ago, and I was you know I'm gonna try this. Like, I'm just gonna try and see what I can teach my daughter, like, because I think I'm underestimating her capabilities. Um, And so in the last month, we started learning guitar, and we started learning chess. And it is mind-blowing to see how quickly a five-year-old can pick up guitar and chess. Um, And yeah, just the plasticity of their minds and the things that they think of and the things that they try to do that you never would have thought of um, just because they're just playing and having fun and experimenting. So. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's one thing that I've tried to always keep is like playful experimentation. And two, I think that going back to your question is like, is less organized education the way forward? Um, I think more tailored education, like where a parent can be like, these are the things I know my child's interested in, and let, let them run with it. So like, I know and and, you know part of obviously a lot of your child's interests develop because of what they're exposed to so my child is exposed to a lot of business with me and it's crazy like we'll walk into restaurants or walk into hotels and she'll point out things that are wrong or she'll point out how they could be making more money or she'll point out like why the staff aren't doing a good job at five years old and so for me i go okay Like well she clearly has an interest in that and an innate ability now to spot things. And so like, yeah, I want to foster that. And I know she's not going to get that at school. So how can I like foster that in a structured manner to try to like make her the best business person she can be if that's what she wants to be?
1: Yeah, this is sort of a rabbit hole I've gone down of just alternative education and exploring having some guests on. And uh, I forget the guy whose name you're talking about, but he turned all three of his daughters into uh, chess grandmasters or international masters or something at one point they were like three of the top 10 ranked or top five ranked women chess players in the world at one point it was like the first third and fifth or something best female chess players in the world and i had a guy named malcolm collins on the show a couple of months ago and he was talking about this same guy and the reason it's important is because of the idea that he called his shot beforehand and was able to say, hey, we're going to pick this. And it is a predetermined thing that I can turn these people into geniuses. It was not some sort of pre-selected or unpre selected method that could have gone any way. He was like, we're gonna pick chess and I'm gonna turn you into a genius in chess. And it worked just through the deliberate effort that they put in,
0: so and And what's interesting about it um and what we've like my wife and I have started to try to do around here is like a lot of if you if you read about what he did it's it's not like um it's not like drilling he's not like drilling his kids he's he's just exposing them so when I was first I, so so interestingly yeah th- this is interesting I, I've been trying to get my daughter into playing guitar for for i don't know like since she was born i wanted her to play guitar right like because it's something i do and i thought it'd be fun we can play songs together and she was really never that into it um i was like man this sucks like yeah i guess she just doesn't want to play guitar um and it wasn't that she didn't want to play guitar it was that i hadn't exposed her to guitar in the right way i was always like trying to teach her things that were like um way above what she was capable of understanding at that moment. And after I listened to um, that podcast and then I started researching a bit of like how um, this gentleman taught his kids chess, what I realized was in the beginning, all he did was like put the boards out there and let them play with the pieces. And then like, oh, this one can only move to here and this one can only move to here. And like, if they didn't do that, he didn't get mad at them or be like, no, no, I told you. He was just like, okay, do whatever you want. And eventually through that just interaction with the chessboard, they became more interested in it. And so that's what I did with my daughter is I bought a pink guitar and put it in the room and I bought another guitar. And now um, we're buying more musical instruments and we, we just put them out um, and we stopped watching TV. Um, and so I just sat on the couch and started playing guitar more, which I haven't done in years, which was great for me. And because I was playing guitar more and not watching TV and there was musical instruments around, like what she naturally gravitated towards was, oh, I'm gonna go pick up a musical instrument and play with daddy. Um, And now a month later, it's like, she's getting very good at guitar very quickly and it's crazy to see.
1: Yeah, I think the leading your children in stages is a great build. I don't know if you paid attention to any of the Arc Forum stuff in London over the last, uh, or at the start of the month here. But uh, Jordan Peterson had a whole section of one of his talks where he talked about the idea that if you tell your two-year-old to clean a room, they don't understand how to clean a room. And if you instead point out, hey, if we put this teddy bear over here on this shelf, that's a baby step in in sort of that progression to eventually being able to clean the room. And I sort of relate this back to a concept that I went through when I was younger and ended up learning a whole bunch tangentially through video games. Because you're always allowed to progress to the level at which you have the skill to complete. And I think that was a huge part of where I saw myself gaining the most independence when I was younger, was being able to go through that next level. And even if I was sitting in class and I was so bored that I cut my pants off in first grade, which actually happened um, (laughs) because I was waiting for the rest of the class to catch up, at least there was something in my life that I had that I was doing on this individual or Supplemental basis, like you said, that was continuing to grow um, my learning capabilities. So I think we're, we need to be doing as much of a job as we can at sort of fostering that growth on an individual level for sure.
0: Yeah. I think, and also like continuing education. Like, I, I, don't, like I in the last one thing that was great of during the pandemic was like, I had all this free time. I think everyone, a lot of people had free time. Um, and I was, as I said, really, 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 really really fucking fortunate because my pandemic experience, I think was um, quite different to a lot of people's experience. And I, I wish we could, if, if, if my pandemic could be the same every time I would like do that every four years, like it was awesome, it was so good for me. Um, and one of the things that I got out of that was, I was bored. So I started learning a lot and started taking a lot of online courses. I went back and got another degree. Um, and since then, I've just continued to do that. Like right now, I'm in the middle of, a, or towards the end of my sommelier course. Um, I'm actually we can talk about that later. But I'm, I'm involved in a winery in Napa Valley right now. So um, taking a sommelier course and just like been like, wow, man, it's so rewarding to keep learning. Like it feels so good. Uh, I, maybe that's my new maybe that's my new marathon, Maybe that's what it is. Is I've I've like shifted from the physical um, pursuits and. Gotten more mental.
1: I think that's why I started the podcast, right? Like, I can't really think of a better way to go about continuing to learn things. I was going down rabbit holes five nights a week, anyways. I might as well learn some things, learn some stuff about the people that I want to talk to, have a conversation with them, download as much information as I can from them, and continue to learn. So, I Definitely resonate with that, and I think it's uh, a great thing that people don't take enough advantage of right now.
0: Thank you for including me on your list of people you want to talk to. I'm I'm humbled.
1: Absolutely, I think you were one of the first guests that I definitely had in mind. You've had a bit of an eclectic journey here, and I remember our time together quite fondly. So um, it was good.
0: It's only because you beat me in that race.
1: During one of those, uh, 30 day stints with no alcohol. Yeah. You mentioned something on a podcast back during the pandemic that I sort of want to challenge you a bit on and only for good reason is that you mentioned that you don't talk a lot about some of the philanthropy that you do. And you feel like it sort of cheapens it to talk about, or um, maybe it's a, a sort of an ego depletion thing or something. And I definitely used to hold that same view and understand where you're coming from. And then I saw an Instagram post and watched a video from, a, I'll call him conservative political commentator slash cultural commentator in the states his name's Patrick Bet David and he and his wife ended up going to a restaurant in Miami Beach and ended up leaving a large tip he posted about it later told the story of why he did it um talking like $1000 tip for the meal or whatever it was and he made this whole video explaining his reason for posting about it and I think I've come to the conclusion that I agree with him and that people don't do a good enough job exposing the good things that they do. And a lot of what we end up seeing instead from people who are have the means to do these things is negative or neutral. And we don't get to see the good things that money allows people that are in your situation or in his situation or even someone in my situation to be able to do um so i think i just might challenge you to rethink that position and and i don't that's not to say that it it's to change your mind or anything like that it just it feels like there's so much shit going on in the world that being able to let people know that hey we're doing this cool thing over here and maybe inspire some people to Help donate a little bit of their time or money as well could go a long way. So,
0: yeah, I'm <clears throat> I, I'm I struggle with it, and and it, maybe it's my own I don't know my own tick, my own insecurity, or I'm, I'm not sure what it is. But it's interesting that you said that because we just had a conversation with some of my um, uh, some business partners that I'm working with currently, and. Um, it was specifically about philanthropy, and I said, "I I see the value in promoting it." Um, I saw like, when when we had um, slumber party, <clears throat> we did a lot of stuff, and in the beginning, we didn't talk about it at all. Um, and then there's you was know, like a competitor, like Mad Monkey, and when they do when they dig a well, they sing it from the rooftops, and for me. And, I, and I'm not saying that they're doing it from a disingenuous place because I don't believe they are I know those guys really well and they' they're really good guys like they're really nice guys um, it just for me in the context of business it felt disingenuine to relate it back to my business because it felt like I wanted to do this altruistic thing I just wanted good to happen from it I never wanted anyone to look at that thing that I was doing and go he's doing that because it you know creates a better image for the company or or you know, draws revenue back to the company somehow. I, I just always never wanted that to ever be an even potential option for someone to say about what I was doing because it, it wasn't about that. It was only about that I wanted to do something. Um, and so, yeah, I see the value both ways. I mean, there, there were moments where um, within our last companies where we spoke about it a bit more, um, and there were moments where we spoke about it less. Um, And I I still feel the same. It's like, it's hard for me. Like I I feel in the context of business, I always feel weird about talking about philanthropy because I feel like I just want to do it just to do it. Um, Like personally, I got, yeah, even in the last year, like when when we were living back in America, um, during, uh, I guess it was beginning of 20, what are we in now? So most of 2022, uh, I lived in the States with my wife and during that time, we decided to start going to church. Um, and we decided to, I can't even remember what, what sparked the idea of going to church, but for some reason, we decided to start going to church. And I was not brought up in a very religious house, but I did attend Catholic high school. Um, and I think what I liked about the idea of going to church was like, let's have this one thing once a week that we go to that's like just about our family. Uh, and it didn't actually matter so much that it was like, it could have been Islam, it could have been Buddhism, it could have been any religion in the world. Actually, the religious point of it was quite, I mean, the, the religious, um, the message was important, but the religion didn't really matter. So we ended up finding a, I think it was a Methodist church that we liked um, and we liked it because, um, one, the, the presentations, because I've got like a monkey brain, I can't pay attention to anything for more than three seconds. So there were like amazing presentations. Like it was like TEDx talks every Sunday. Like I was blown away by the um, audio video that these guys put together for this church. <laughs> so that was one. Two was um, there was a lot of music. So that was cool. Um, the band was really good. Uh, and three, it was just like great message. So um, I think the one thing this church did a really good job of was like um, focusing on the messages of the Bible and not trying to focus on like converting you to any religion. Just being like, this is why this message is important. This is why um, why we should do these things, which is relatable to anyone. Like it wasn't it wasn't like a Jewish person that a Jewish person, that's hard to say, uh, a Jewish person or a Islamic person or a Hindu, anyone could listen to that message and go like, yeah, I see the value in this. Um, and so I started going there and anonymously donating like pretty large sums of money every weekend when I went. Um, and after like, cause I, in my head um, I'd say like, oh, okay, like I'm gonna donate this much to this organization. Um, and I think after like the uh, sixth or seventh time I did it, they took notice of it, and they were like, "Hey, we want to put your name here, and we want to like give this for you and do that for you." And I was like, uh, "I don't want to do that." And they were like, "Oh, like let, can we bring you on stage and thank you?" And I was like, "No." I was like, "It's not the it's not the point of it. Like the point of it is like I value what you guys are doing here. Um, it's not about tithing or any of that. I'm not like." calculating a percentage of my income and giving it to you because I might not ever come here again. But if I think about like, what is the value I'm getting out of this today with this time with my family and exposing my child to this and like how good I feel when I walk out of here, it's worth this much money to me. And I would pay this much consistently to feel this way every day. So I'm okay with giving you that. So yeah, I, I, I see the value. I struggle to do it in the context of business.
1: It's a good differentiator at least. And in fairness, most of the context that I was talking about, it was from an individual side and not necessarily from the business side. So being able to delineate that and break that down and, and have those two separate divided, um, methodologies is, is definitely can make things feel a little cleaner. Yeah. You know, it is, I do
0: it because of the way it makes me feel not because of the way I want other people to think about me. I think that's actually, as you were saying that, like, that that's what it is. Like, I do it because when I do it, I feel so good about doing it. and It makes me feel amazing. Um, and I don't need other people to like me or dislike me or think of me in any way differently because I do it. Um, I do it because it's totally selfish. That's why I do it selfless and selfish. <laughs> I definitely resonate
1: with that message. And I don't think it's, it's ever the wanting someone to, see you in some sort of different light myself to a much larger extent. And I I talk endlessly, especially to my wife about, uh, the like idea that one day it's going to be really exciting to me to just like walk into a restaurant and give a $200 tip every time we sit down to have dinner. Like that's one of the things that I most look forward to when it comes time to like have that level of money. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely, excited for that day. I think it's also because of,
0: again, going back to my grandfather and my grandparents, like they did a ton of philanthropic work and they were always very humble about it. And like a lot of people had, like, it wasn't really until my grandfather passed away that the um, depth of his giving even came out to some of us. um, And it was impressive what he did. And he just didn't, he did it for him. He didn't do it for, I mean, he did it to help, but he did it because the way it made him feel and because he wanted to do it, not because he was expecting anything back out of it. And I think that um, humility um, was something that was definitely definitely instilled in me. And I think with my brothers and sisters as well, who both also do a lot of stuff, um, whether it's donating their time or money or whatever, and my mom, like everyone in our family actually is um, very much about giving. And I don't think anyone shouts it from the rooftops. So, yeah. It's a very positive quality, I think, I, I learned as a child. I shout out things. I brag about a lot of other stuff, so I don't need to brag about that.
1: <laughs> What's something that you wish more Western people knew about uh, Eastern culture or Eastern Asian culture?
0: Um, I think just in general, which it seems like it's starting to happen, I think just traveling is, like, the best thing that anyone can do to open up their mind i think in the u.s especially um, we're just so u.s centric and we think we're the center of the universe and we don't understand like what's happening in the outside world um think people live in mud huts and you know is there are going to be internet there or whatever and i have better internet in thailand any day of the week than i've ever had in the states and it's free everywhere i go and People would be shocked if you walked into a restaurant here and they didn't have Wi Fi for you. Whereas if you went into a restaurant in America and they did have Wi Fi for you, it'd probably be more shocking. Um, so I think getting out of that, like, oh, uh, we think we're so first world and everyone else is so third world or fourth world or whatever it is that they think, I think that's really important. Um, and then I think once you spend some time in these countries, um, you get a much broader geopolitical view, which I think is also really healthy. You start to understand, um, for example, like when Israel and and Hamas or Palestine, you know, went to war, like one of the first things I thought was like, oh, those poor Palestinians. And, you know, and it took took a a couple of weeks for that narrative to come out. Everyone was like, yeah, like, fuck Hamas. And it was like, yeah. But like there's all these innocent people there who like are you know, been for various reasons, um, you know, kind of forgotten about and and they don't have a lot of rights already. Like they, they have really, really minimal amount of rights in, as Palestinians. And I'm not saying, I'm not justifying Hamas, I'm not justifying Israel. I think the whole situation sucks. Um, a lot of innocent Israelis died when, when, you know, they were at a music festival having fun and got shot. Like, like, that's insane. But I think living abroad gives you um, a, maybe like the 30,000 foot view where you can like look down and, and kind of start to see both sides of situations. I mean, even like, like in America right now, I, I couldn't walk in and say, like I see the value of Trump in a lot of places. I see like a lot of good that he did because people would go nuts. Or I couldn't walk in and say, I'm really for gun control because people would go insane. Um, Or I couldn't say I'm super pro or anti Biden. I'm not saying these are my views on anything. I'm just saying like, because the States is so polarized, saying those things publicly, is like you're not allowed to have those conversations. And I think when you go abroad, people, it it teaches you to like understand both sides of what's happening. It teaches you to see a broader um, picture of the world and it teaches you that, like, you know, there's a reason why Russia's invading Ukraine. It's not just because Putin's insane. And for that matter, Putin's not just this insane dictator. Like, have you read about Putin? Do you understand what this guy did? Do you understand where he came from? This guy was like a nobody till he was 43. Like he he clawed his way up to where he is. He's he might be a lot of a things, but an idiot isn't one of them. An insane person, I don't think, is one of them either. He's he's a great man as far as he is incredibly impressive. I'm not saying what he, I'm not saying he's a good man, a good man and a great man are different things, but he's, he's done some impressive things. Now th- there's a reason why this person is doing what he's doing. I'm um, not saying I agree with it in any way, shape, or form, but I think when you don't live in the States, you, or, or not, not living in the States, when you travel, it hopefully gives people the curiosity to explore some of these issues more and understand what's really happening in the world because, I assure you, if you read CNN all day or Fox News all day, you're getting a very, very, very distorted view of what's actually happening out there. Um, and unfortunately, one of the things we've been doing in the states right now is is killing conversation and um, killing um, inquisition and curiosity and just wanting people to like just fall into a, a left or a right. And that's if you're this, you're this, and if you're this, you're this, and you can't be in the middle because if you're in the middle, that's bad. Um, I think. Traveling helps you get rid of a lot of that. Um, And then Asian culture, um, specifically, Thai culture. I think one thing that's just incredible here is the the hospitality is insane. Like the level at which the average Thai worker will go out of their way to make sure you have an incredible experience is pretty impressive. And that's just their culture. They weren't taught this, this is just how they're brought up. Um, and then the other thing is that the effort that they will make to not have conflict and try to avoid conflict because they just don't see the value in it. Whether it's right or wrong, they would rather just avoid it. Um, and I'm not saying that that's always right, like conflict is good. Um, I think probably there's there's, there's probably a um, argument that, that war is good. Um, without war, maybe what happens is we're just pacified and we, there's no development and people don't try to push forward and you know maybe the eagerness to drive forward and, and expand and do things like maybe war or hate or anger is a byproduct of that. And so um, I don't think being totally, totally adverse to conflict like the Thai people are is totally right, but it is an impressive perspective and interesting perspective to learn uh, that I think can help make you a more well-rounded person. Again, long response, but I got there in the end.
1: No, I think it's funny just listening to you talk through that is maps pretty perfectly onto exactly the experience that I had when I came over. And I was there for probably seven months total. And I continually refer to those six or seven months as like the complete turning point in almost everything that I thought about the world at that point and like completely shifted all my perspectives on, um, whether it's geopolitics or whatever you want to call it and just the understanding and the big one that I continue to get out of it is just the gratitude for the life that I have over here and, and seeing some of the income inequality that is present in Thailand or other Southeast Asian countries. and and. I've mentioned this many times before, but people in the States, if they were dropped in Asia somewhere or or Africa and told that they had to figure it out, they'd quickly realize that the problems that they have back in America are absolutely nothing compared to the problems that people in other less fortunate parts of the world have. So yeah, listening to you talk through that mapped pretty much exactly onto my experience of travel, so.
0: And the other thing they'd realize is um, how giving people with nothing are in other countries in America. We drive by homeless people on the street all day, every day, and we think of them as the degenerates and delinquents of, of life. And we, we wouldn't, in most cases, people won't do anything to help those people out. I mean, it's, it's sad, but it's true. Um, thailand and if there's a homeless guy on the street, that guy is probably more well-fed than I am everyone no matter what will walk by each day and give that guy food and money and he will live a very happy life there on the street um thai people just view that as a chance to give which is part of their culture and they also view it because of buddhism that's like well that could be me in my next life or that could be my daughter or that could be someone else so like i should take this opportunity to do something for this person and you know, build up my karmic reserve so that doesn't happen to me. Uh, I think in America, obviously, we don't have Buddhism, but we also, as much as we like to say that, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I could go so political, but I just think, like, you know, I got to look at some of the things happening, and I think, like, uh, we've got all these problems, like, internally, like, and I, and I, I agree there's some things that are worth getting involved in, but there's a lot of stuff that we probably shouldn't be involved in and maybe we should just be focusing all those resources internally. Because if you look at the amount of money that we've spent just in this year alone, funding wars, like you could like do a lot of good with that money inside of our own borders.
1: This is the last question that I've been enjoying asking my guests, and it's gonna be a continued tradition here, running off of our sort of final theme here of mind expansion or Expanding your horizons or thinking differently. What's the last thing that you changed your mind about?
0: Peaky Blinders. I, I saw that. I saw that uh, TV show on Netflix for for years, and I watched one episode, and I was like, "This is terrible." And now, now I'm through season four and loving it. <laughs> there you go. Maybe, maybe I think I think that's unfortunately my answer. It's great. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't watch a. I don't watch a ton of TV, but. Um, I do try to find things to like, can't work all the time, right? <clears throat> and I, I've been trying to be, be, like, more deliberate about not working. So either playing guitar with my daughter or trying to watch a bit of TV. And, uh, yeah, I saw that show on forever. Like, and I was like, yeah, oh, I'm not going to watch it. It like, looks stupid. And then I decided to give it a whirl, and it, it's great. Big fan. There you go.
1: All right, Emin, I uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Do we want to send people anywhere?
0: um send people anywhere you can check out um i've been working been working on a new project that um has been about two years in the making and we're just about to launch i think our first offer tomorrow which is bryant imports.com b-r-y-a-n-t imports.com so um, i've been very fortunate for the last yeah about two years i've been involved with a um winery in napa valley i've been working very closely with them and uh, it's been an amazing experience and, and i really have fallen in love with the wine industry and you know been lucky that i'm working with probably one of the top five most notable vineyards in america that i was able to uh or i don't know if able that 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 um Allah or God or Buddha or whoever had had a a plan for me to, you know, meet these people and and be put in this incredibly fortunate situation. And we have started an import company that's focused on uh, importing lesser known wines from around the world that we think are, um, you know, top, top, top quality vineyards uh, that aren't discovered. So either they're doing limited production or they are new vineyards or um, it's just something most people haven't heard about in the States. And we're starting to import those wines into America. So our first offer will be on the 16th. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's gonna sell out quick. So if you want to buy some incredibly good Italian wine, uh, you should join right away. The uh, the list is going to be very small because there's not a lot of wine to sell, uh, but yeah, that's something I'm super excited about. Perfect.
1: I appreciate uh, you coming on, having a conversation. It's been great to catch up and, uh... I always learn a ton talking to you. So thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks so much.